All right. How is everyone this morning? Yay. <laughs> okay. I feel like everyone is really far away from me. I put on deodorant this morning. I, I did, I promise. So <laughs> uh, it's another great day. I, I look forward to Sunday so much. And uh, it's, it's such a busy day for me, but it's, it's such a wonderful day, and I know most of you feel the same way. But <sighs> we have a lot to learn this morning. Um, and, and so before we get into anything, uh, I want to make sure that on this Lord's Day we go to uh, the Lord himself and ask his favor on our time and his blessing on our time together. So let's do that. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we, we're so grateful for your mercies, which are new every morning. We're so grateful that you are a steadfast, loving Lord, good and gracious to those who serve you. And you're even gracious to those who have, sh- have shook their fist in your face, for we have all done that. But Lord, by your sovereign grace, you have given us new life. You have given us the hope of the resurrection through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This morning, as we delve ourselves into the book of Proverbs yet again, may this be a wonderful morning where we understand in a very practical way what you have called us to be in the world in which we live. We live in a world that is incredibly hostile towards our Savior, a world which is incredibly hostile towards the lordship of who you are in our lives and should be in our lives. We live in a world that shakes its fist boldly towards heaven and curses God. And yet this is the same world you have called us to live in. So help us as we understand Proverbs today to understand how to live godly and righteous in this present age. We pray this not just so that we would live with ease and comfort, for we know that that would actually, it's, it's actually the opposite with what we will receive. But Father, that we could live to the glory and honor of your name. We pray these things only in the name of Jesus Christ, who gives us the victory. Amen. Well, we are actually, today is our final Sunday in the book of Proverbs. I think. I think I'm the last one. Um, So if you've been with us, uh, you know that we've been going through the book Practicing Proverbs, Wise Living for Foolish Times, um, which is a great title. I love that, or the subtitle, um, by Richard Mayhew, one of uh, the great professors of of the Master Seminary. Um, For many years was the dean of the school as well, so a very, very wise man. And our own pastor, Steve, worked under him for a number of years. Uh, But today we're we're talking, the the topic is under societal wisdom. Uh, One of these issues that, in my opinion, you don't get more practical. Um, These are just a couple of the the topics that we're going to discuss today that we're going to look into Proverbs over regarding. 
benevolence, grace, and mercy. All right, those those seem pr- pretty practical. Um, friendship and neighbors. All right, that's getting a little practical too. We all have friends. We all have neighbors. Uh, another topic. This is w- a fun one: government and kings. Yes. Proverbs talks on that um, and actually gives some wonderful insight. Uh, and then our name and our reputation. Um, so those are the issues. As uh, I mean, every one of our, our teachers has handled how we do this differently. I'm, I like to be very interactive with this. I like to have you guys in your Bibles, in the book of Proverbs, reading aloud with me um, as we go through some of these. So uh, giving ourselves some definitions. So when we talk about benevolence, grace, and mercy, this is the, the very first topic within society. And, and we're going to limit this to kind of a societal understanding uh, and, and societal wisdom. When we talk about benevolence or grace and mercy, how would our world define that? How would, how would our world define what is grace? Charity. Getting what I want. <laughs> Doesn't sound like grace. It's self- selfishness. Um, what, what, when, what about mercy? I mean, they use that term. What do they mean by it? They use the term grace. What do they mean by it? Do they know what they mean by it? <laughs> Let me off with a slap on the wrist. I don't have to pay the consequence of what I do. Yeah, think of it in the court of law. Yeah, I want grace. I want mercy. I just want to not suffer any consequences, basically, what, what um, they, they say. Uh, what about benevolence? I think Kathy kind of touched on it. They call it just charity. Why, why do we need to be benevolent in, in our society? To feel good. Pat myself on the back. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it makes me feel really good. Is that the gospel? Are any of those things the gospel? No. But benevolence, grace, and mercy from a biblical standpoint are the gospel. They are a huge, huge part of the gospel. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3 so when, when, when we're looking in, in societal, we're going to kind of, with some of these that I call out, we're going to label them. Is this benevolence? Is this grace? Or is this mercy? All right, that's what we're going to do. Proverbs 3, 3. Let not steadfast love and for faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. This is a very clear start to, to this but what it, what category would that be under? Would it be benevolence, grace, or mercy? What do you think? Or all three? All three! All right. That's the wonderful thing about Proverbs. It can apply in many, many ways. All right. All right. Somebody read for me chapter 3, uh, verses 27 through 30. Nice and loud. Okay, 27 through 30 on chapter 3, yeah.
Thank you. I think, again, that one covers all three topics in there. What is the wisdom that we gain from there? What is it telling us to do? Your neighbor is in need. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yeah. But when do you do it? Right now. Right now. Especially if you have it on you. Don't wait. Um, don't wait. Um, another one. Uh, in chapter 11, move a couple couple chapters later. Chapter 11, verses 24 through 26. 11, 24 through 26. This follows on that same trajectory that we just read in chapter 3. Can somebody read those verses nice and loud for us? This wonderful idea of, uh, it's almost like benevolence and grace and mercy. Really kind of, you can't separate them from each other, according to verses like that. Um, It it sounds so contradictory. One who gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever seen that? Have you ever done it yourself? It's amazing. Those those who I have learned those who are the poorest among us sometimes are the most generous among us. Um, that's not always the case. Uh, uh, that's not always the case. But it is it's those who don't have much that don't hold on to much. Um, it, it's fascinating. Uh, quite often. That's chapter eleven. But you move on to 15. Chapter 15, verse 25 says, The Lord tears down the house of the proud, but maintains the widow's boundaries. This is now we're talking about the Lord's benevolence, grace, and mercy. What does he do? He protects the widow in what ways? In In chapter 15, verse 25. He maintains what? When you think uh, widows so often, it's they've lost so much, right? And yet the Lord always provides for them. We can see that in, in, in so many New Testament and Old Testament tru- uh, books. I mean, we have an entire book written about God protecting a single widow when she has lost everything. What book is that? The book of Ruth. Exactly. What did he do? He protected her boundaries. He gave her land. He, he provided for her, uh, for Ruth. In chapter 19, there's a, there's a handful of verses in chapter 19 that I love. Um, I'm going to get you guys to read these aloud. Chapter, uh, verse 6, verse 11, verse 17, and verse 22. Of chapter 19. Somebody read chapter 19, verse 6. All right. So this is that idea of benevolence and mercy and grace. Um, 
But it's it's when somebody wins the lottery, I think Powerball, it was some like astronomical number this time. Seven hundred million. And if you've ever seen documentaries on people who have won the lottery, it is depressing. It is incredibly depressing. Um, and they say because people come out of the woodwork begging for money. And this is, many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. That is what we see there. Never desire to win the lottery. I can tell you that. I have yet to find somebody who's gained happiness out of winning the lottery. You find me one. Uh, verse 11 of chapter 19. Somebody read that nice and loud. Of the three categories, what would that fall under? I would say mercy in a lot of ways. It's his glory to overlook an offense, not give somebody what they truly deserve. What there, there, there is happening there. In verse 17 of chapter 19, what's that one say? This isn't asking us to be part of a social gospel. Just be, just be clear on that. But we are still to commanded to give generously to the poor. Um, and I, I love that because there's that second half to the verse, like Dave said. He will repay him for his deed. The Lord, are we necessarily guaranteed to be repaid in this lifetime? No, no. This is where we look to that earthly payment or that heavenly payment, not an earthly payment, that eternal reward. Um, sometimes we get a, an earthly reward, but not all the time. Verse 22. Somebody read 1922. Ah. Don't you? Doesn't that kind of a proverb just cut you to the heart so many people want what as they walk this earth to accumulate for themselves a fortune and fame or, or just a comfortable lifestyle what is desired in a man though should be what steadfast love steadfast love is better for and a poor man is better than a liar Better to be without much than to be known as a liar. I'm going to move a, a little bit more to, to chapter 23. Chapter 23, I, I had to kind of look up a little bit these verses in 10 and 11 just to make sure I was understanding it correctly. This, again, is it can be if you don't have the right word, it can especially societally be understood inappropriately and i think even in light of this past week it can be my translation says do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless for their redeemer is strong he will plead their cause against you 
when I say in light of this week, um, we've had we've heard the news talking a lot about removal of what? All these different statues and monuments and everything. That that's not land or using the word do not remove an ancient landmark is not talking about statues. It's talking about borderlands. It's it's talking about um, boundaries. Do not remove an ancient boundary, um, something that has been established, or enter the fields of the father. This this is like Ruth gaining her inheritance again. Don't cut her short. Don't don't squat. Don't don't cut corners. Basically on what is rightfully due, which has been established from ancient times. So do not move an ancient landmark or, or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong, and He will plead their cause against you. So you start messing with what God has given to somebody, boom. You want to stand before Him as the judge then, not them. He will defend their cause. In chapter 25, continuing on this benevolent grace and mercy, in chapter 25, verses 21 through 22, this you can almost hear the words of Jesus saying it. Somebody read nice and loud 21 and 22 out of verses chapter 25. My mother used to always say that to me as a, as a child. Go heap burning coals on your brother's head. Be nice to him. And so I did more out of vengeance. I was nice to him. But um, that's <laughs> my heart. I need to repent of that later. But uh, the Lord is the best avenger. The, be- the Lord is the best avenger. We are called to give food to the enemy. We're told to be graceful. To, to the enemy, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. It's not your job to judge, to be his judge. The Lord will judge in that case. I'm going to move on here because I have to. Actually, go to chapter 31. I'm going to skip a bunch of verse, uh, chapters here. Go straight to chapter 31. Chapter 31 is the big famous chapter about who? The Proverbs 31 woman, all right? It talks to her, it talks about her being full of benevolence, grace, and mercy. Chapter, or verse 20, it says, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. That is what God has called women to be, a, a righteous woman to be. In, cha- in verse 26, it says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So all these kinds of things fall into benevolence, grace, and mercy. But as many Proverbs, we we see even more kind of application throughout. Our next topic is is about friendships and neighbors. Um, Go back to to chapter 3. All the way back to chapter 3. And go to verse 27 and 29 through 29. We read these earlier. And you can kind of see how, again, to be benevolent, gracious, and merciful also ties into being uh, a friend and a neighbor. 
I'll read it again this time. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again till I will give it. Tomorrow I will give it. When you have it with you, do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. This is how you're supposed to deal with your neighbor. Understanding that you are to be benevolent, gracious, and merciful to your neighbor and those around you. In chapter 6, this is another one of those verses that, that I think many of us know. Chapter 6, verses 27 and t- through 29. This I remember hearing in youth group growing up many times. Um, chapter 6, verse 27 and 29. Somebody read that nice and loud. Heavy stuff. Heavy stuff there. And that's why when, when people say uh, the, the sin of adultery is playing with fire, um, it, it comes from this idea. You, you can't carry that. There is no way to come unscathed, come out unscathed in that, with that kind of sin. There are consequences. In chapter 11, Verses 12, it says, Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Moving on to chapter 14. In chapter 14, verses 20 and 21, these are kind of two separate verses, but they also work well together. It says, The poor is disliked by his neighbor, but the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Move on to chapter 24. This is going to have a a tie into our next section, but chapter 24, uh, verses 21 and 22 is incredibly practical for this week and this day and age that we live in. 21 through 22 of chapter 24. My son, fear the Lord and the king and do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster from them will rise suddenly and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. This, in my opinion, is, is an incredibly practical thing because wh- why would we sec- section this one into a section that talks about friendship and your neighbor? Does this talk about your neighbor at all in here? Yes. What? Do not associate with those who are doing those things. That's the obvious answer, but there's another neighbor in here. The king. The king is also your neighbor. He might have a lot of authority over you, but he is technically still your neighbor. In 
in chapter 27, verse 6, I mean, Proverbs is just full of wonderful how we deal with friends and neighbors. Chapter 27, verse 6, one that many of you could probably quote, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. What does that mean? Somebody give me an explanation of, of that verse. We see that over and over again. Um, yeah, somebody who, who actually loves you, it's like a parent. What does a parent do? They, they do the hard stuff. They tell their kids the hard things. They, they smack the bottom of the child. It's, they do it out of love. Um, it's the same as a friend. A friend is loves you enough to stop you in your tracks and, and to wound you so that you won't jump off a cliff. An enemy doesn't care. They'll kiss you off and say goodbye. Like Judas. Yeah, how can you not think of Judas when you read a verse like that? When you consider all of that. I have a video that I want to show you guys. It, it came out about two or three days ago. Ben, if you can head back there. Uh, there's been a lot of questions regarding the, the idea of a neighbor and, and about our role in government and all this kind of stuff. Um, last Sunday evening, um, there was a, a question and answer period at Grace Community Church with, with John MacArthur. And a young man, well, you'll see, asked him a question about how do we as believers respond to the events in Charlottesville? And uh, it's, a it's only about six minutes long. So, Ben, if, if we can... Kind of drop the lights in the front here, too, once you get it started so that we can get a good, clear picture, but start it first. Hi, Pastor John. My Hi. name is Paul. Hi, Paul. I was back and forth with this question, but I received some slight peer pressure through text message, so. Um, so you you succumbed to the pressure. <laughs> yes, I did, I did. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, what what is a biblical and Christ-proclaiming view of Charlottesville, of Charlottesville, Virginia, and all that's happened recently? Sure. Um, I'll give you a biblical view of it. Um, the human heart is desperately wicked. And the human heart is hostile toward God and self-centered and proud and selfish and angry. What Charlottesville simply demonstrates is that fallen humanity is corrupt. All I see in that is the justification of anger. Look, that's, that's not about slavery. That's not about something that happened 200 years ago. That's an opportunity for angry, hostile, self-willed, selfish people to explode and feel good about it because they can get away with it when there's enough of them, too many of them to stop. No one tolerates white supremacists. When I was down in Mississippi years ago, I was arrested by those kinds of people for preaching the gospel in black high schools, and I was put in jail, and they took all my money away. I, I know that. I was with the black leaders in Jackson, Mississippi, in, and Charles Evers, Medgar Evers' brother. Charles was the first black mayor in the South. Charles 
His brother Medgar was the first martyr of the civil rights movement. He was killed. I was in the room when Martin Luther King was assassinated with those black leaders. We went to Memphis and I stood on the blood spots on that motel with those men. And I stood in the little bathroom on top of the toilet where James Earl Ray shot him out the window. Those men were my friends. That was my community. I couldn't buy groceries in that town when I got back I, in Mendenhall, Mississippi. I couldn't eat in a restaurant. I, I've seen all that. That's, that's not what's going on there in Charlottesville or any of these other demonstrations. This is the wretched, fallen human heart feeling like it can rise to any level that is not completely controlled. And let me tell you what gets you there. Number one, the human heart is evil. War is in the heart. Men will kill. That's how they function. But God has built three restraints into society. Restraint number one is in the individual, and it's the conscience. But the conscience reacts to a moral law. So if you have a whole generation of young people that have been taught a twisted, perverted, inverted, upside down and backwards moral law, then their conscience can't function. The, the conscience is, is simply a recognition mechanism that says that's wrong, that's right, that excuses and accuses. But it only can function where there's a sound moral law written in the heart. So you have a whole generation of these people, this generation, who have had a totally perverted sense of what morality is. And the dominant part of this new morality is, I'm the most important person in the world. It's all about me. It's the selfie culture. So conscience is now crippled. Secondly, God put fathers and mothers in a family to bring a rod to discipline people in order to subdue their evil. If the family is destroyed and the family breaks down, then you have no control over those people. So conscience can't function because the moral law has been literally destroyed. Families don't function, so there is no discipline learned. There's no sense of what is right, what is acceptable behavior. And the only institution left that God ordained was the police. And the police were given a sword to subdue those who do evil. When you assault the police long enough that you diminish their authority and the sense of fear and the sense of reverence that a society has to have for those who police them, then all hell will break loose. Conscience isn't functioning, family's not functioning, and the police have been stripped of their powers in the social consciousness. You literally have unleashed the human heart at its worst level. This is not about race, and this is not about what happened in America in the past. No one can tolerate white supremacists. No one can tolerate the Ku Klux Klan. One of my dear friends, John Perkins, his brother was killed in front of him by the Ku Klux Klan in the street. No one can tolerate that. That is just one manifestation of the evil of the human heart. And we have only begun to see it once it's unleashed and it's going to start coming in all kinds of forms. 
because of the breakdown of moral law, the breakdown of the conscience, the breakdown of the family, and because of the incessant assaults on governing authorities. So get ready. I don't think it's going to go away. Okay? Thank you, Pastor. You're welcome. Thank you, Paul. I heard a wow over here. <laughs> have to almost take a breath after that. Um, but when you consider in light of who is my neighbor and, and how do we understand society in that, we have to understand this, this ties into our benevolence, grace, and mercy. This ties into our who is my neighbor. This ties into um, the kings and the government that, that we submit to. How, is this, how does this tie into benevolence, grace, and mercy? This ties in these people need benevolence, grace, and mercy. They need the gospel. They need us to extend that because their heart is wicked, just like ours is. And, and therefore, grace and mercy need to be extended. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. That is a grace when you wound a friend with the gospel and prick their conscience and their and 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 let their heart know that it is standing wickedly before a holy god how how are these people our neighbors these are our literally our neighbors in some cases and we are told to love them when we go online I mean, I, I tell you, I'm ready to shut down every social media aspect of my life because when I consider chapter 24, verses 21 through 22, my son, fear the Lord and the king and do not join with those who do otherwise. All I see these days on social media is people blasting and dishonoring the Lord and the king. That is what social media has become, a platform to just dishonor those in authority over us. It says, for, for those who, who join with them, for, for disaster from them will rise suddenly, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both. Watch yourselves online. Watch yourselves in your conversations at work. You might not appreciate what a, a leader is doing but God has put him over you remember God put Saul in place before he put David in place and Israel still needed to respect Saul Paul had to sur survive under the rule of Nero one of the worst people that's ever existed especially towards the church and yet, Paul said, pray for your leaders. Pray for those in authority over top of you. In chapter 22 of, of Proverbs, we're also told how to act before a king. In chapter, in chapter 22, verse 29, it says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand. He will not stand before obscure men. So while we want to honor the king, we also want to serve the king as if we're serving the Lord. 
And when we do our work skillfully, people notice. People will notice. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. In a couple chapters later, in, verse, in chapter 25, the first seven verses say this. These also are Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judea, copied. It is the glory to, of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings to search things out. As the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver and the smith from the material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. Again, this is saying God puts his leaders in place. Um, President Trump is President Trump for a reason. Prime Minister Trudeau in my country is Prime Minister Trudeau for a reason. These are not godly men, but the Lord has placed them in place, and it is our place to pray for them that they would rule in righteousness, even righteousness that is not their own. A little later in chapter 25 in verse 15 the reason we pray for them is because in verse 15 it says with patience a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone judging by what the media tells me about our current leaders they are not going to bow when the pressure gets put on them by people who are yelling and screaming at them. In fact, they just kind of get a little bit more resolved in their ways. Proverbs tells us why. Because with patience, a ruler may be persuaded and a soft tongue will break a bone. You do that yourself. Somebody's screaming in your face, you plant yourself even harder, even if that person's right. <laughs> but if somebody comes up to you very graciously, and very lovingly, you might reconsider. And you might listen to them a little bit more. In chapter 29, verse 26. This is the world we live in. Chapter 29, verse 26. Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. The... RNC and the DNC cannot save you. It's basically what this verse is saying. Many in our society seek Congress, the Senate, the President to be the one that saves them from everything wrong in society. Many seek the face of a ruler. But what does verse 26 say? But it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. So who should we seek first? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
And all these things will be added unto you. Finally, the last section is just four verses that I have here that I want to pull out is about our name and our reputation. And with this is, is what we will kind of end our study in Proverbs on. Starting in chapter 3, we're going to cover a good... We're going to go from chapter 3 to 31 and cover this name and reputation idea. Chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. This is what we started off our morning with. Verses 3 and 4 said, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Let me read that again. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You want a good reputation? Be known for steadfast love and faithfulness. Go to chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 7. The memory of the righteous is a blessing, <laughs> but the name of the wicked will rot. It's interesting. We, in this video, who, who is remember? We all remember Martin Luther King Jr., we know who he is, but so many of us forget who's responsible for his assassination. I mean, I can't remember. Now, I'm not American, so it's not part of my history classes nearly as much. But um, his name is rotten. But the memory of, of the righteous is a blessing. That's why everywhere, every city you go into has a boulevard named after who? Martin Luther King Jr. Chapter 22. Chapter 22. So many people long for worldly possessions, but we all know and we've heard the old adage that you don't see any U-Hauls attached to a hearse. <laughs> Do you like that one, Jane? <laughs> Chapter 22, verse 1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. Why? Because a good name lasts. A good name lasts. Favor lasts. And then finally, we'll, we'll close with chapter 31, verse 31. Because we're going to finish off with the ladies. <laughs> The Proverbs 31 woman. She has a reputation as well. It says, give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. That woman has a good reputation. The whole city knows it. Why? Because she's been a good neighbor and she's been a good friend. She's been benevolent. She's been gracious and she's shown mercy. 
all these things. And she has served her king and her Lord well. Proverbs gives us a lot of wonderful practical wisdom when we understand these things. If you don't have a copy of Practicing Proverbs, is Russell, do we have it in the, no we don't, okay, then I won't tell you to get it in our bookstore. Um, okay, there you go. It's really cheap on Amazon, you can have it in two days with free shipping. Um, and since Amazon is taking over the world, um, <laughs> you know you, can, you can get it. But get a copy. How they've broken this up in the last half of the book. Um, the first half of the book is just kind of explaining different parts of Proverbs. And, and we talked about that at the beginning. How do you read Roberts, Proverbs? How do, you, how do you understand them? How, is the, how are they set up? All that kind of stuff. What are principles? What are our promises? What are our truths? Um, and, and how do you understand that? But the last half basically is a devotional guide through like each week giving you a section of Proverbs to, to go through to understand these. I pulled out like seven or eight Proverbs under each section, but they've got like 40 listed under each of these sections. So there's so much more to delve into. We could read all 40 of each section, but I would go into most of the service here if I were to do that. So spend the time yourself. Do the hard work of the ministry um, for, for your own soul. Uh, let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word of life to us. Your word, which is so practical, which is so engaging to our own lives, especially as we consider today how we are to live godly in this age. Help us to be righteous. Help us to have a name that honors and glorifies you. Help our reputation to the world around us point people to you. May in our workplace we understand the grace and the mercy and benevolence that we are required, that we are commanded to live in light of. May that emanate from us. Lord, we of all people who have been shown much grace and mercy and benevolence from our Savior should overflow with extending that to others. And if we don't, how do we truly know that we've received it ourselves? Lord, we pray for our leaders over us. We pray that you would guide them in wisdom and in righteousness. Would you place around them from the local level to the national level men and women who would speak the truth of the gospel into their lives. And as we have seen, even in the example of, of Daniel, living in this very way before Nebuchadnezzar, he saw the, the heart of a wicked king turn into a faithful servant of yours. And so, Lord, we pray the same for our leaders. We pray that you would convict them, that you would bring them to a point of repentance, just as you did the, the leader of Nineveh as well. And me, may we not be like Jonah and say, and curse you for saving people. 
but may we rejoice. Father, may our reputation be one that glorifies and honors you. Even today, we pray these things in your name.